Welcome to the Mindful Rebel Podcast, the podcast where mindfulness and leadership intersect. In this episode, we'll talk to Debbie L. London. Debbie was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. Over the years, Debbie has consistently maintained an innate passion to help others with a specific focus on spiritual and emotional healing. This is best exhibited throughout her professional career, which includes psychological testing, counseling children and families, and client interactions in psychiatric hospitals. Transforming with transparency is her tagline because she helps others through being open and honest about her own experiences. She is the author of the self-help book, Residue, Surviving and Overcoming Stains of Generational Curses and Soul Ties. Her second book is Your Facade is Showing, a divorcee's perspective on accepting relationship red flags the first time. Welcome to the Mindful Rebel Podcast. Uh, today, I have Debbie L. London on the show. I'm excited to have the opportunity to talk with her, pick her brain a little bit, and um, yeah, engage in some good conversation. Hello, everyone. I'm so <laughs> happy to be here. I think it's going to be an awesome convo. And I think the best place for us to start in the conversation um, would be, you know, to give you know myself and the listeners a little bit more context about the work that you do, uh, can you talk to me about your journey that's kind of landed you in the current work um, that you're in now? Oh man, it's so funny. I never wanted to do what I'm doing. <laughs> like, really? This is not what I envisioned for my life in any way, but you know, our plans. <laughs> typically uh, going to be erased along the way and redone and restructured. It was when I was 18 that I first knew I was supposed to write and I ran from that because I'm like, uh, no God, I'm not writing anything. <laughs> I'm supposed to be a psychologist and that's exactly what I'm going to do. And leave me alone. I start school in the fall because it's right <laughs> after I graduated high school. I'm like, start school in the fall. We're doing this journey together. And then it was when I was getting my master's degree to get my professional license in counseling. I was like, I don't even want to help people like this. It's too many guardrails to help people. No, this isn't it. And then fast forward to after um, I got my master's in public administration, I was at work crying in the parking lot. And I was like, there's, there's more here. There's more to life. I feel very unfulfilled. And I called my sister and she said, you know, you're supposed to be writing. So at this point, Hmm. almost 10 years since God told me you're supposed to be right. <laughs> so, you know, a hard head makes a soft what? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm crying in the parking lot and she's like, I don't care what you have to do. I will hold you accountable. Um, carry your notebook around, take notes in your phone every time he gives you a topic and go from there. And that's when I started writing my first book. And even after writing my first book, I still was not sold on the idea of being an author. I'd like, okay, I did this in obedience. You told me to write, okay, I wrote this book, which is Residue, Surviving and Overcoming the Stains of Generational Curses and Soul Ties, by the way. <laughs> but even after writing it, I was just like, okay, I did it. Leave me alone again. Thanks. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, let me, let's do something else. It's in my mind. I'm supposed to be climbing the corporate ladder. I'm supposed to be doing something else. And then with this second book, he gave me the title of this book, Your Facade is Showing a divorcee's perspective on accepting relationship red flags the first time he gave me the just the title your facade is showing before i finished my last book and it's not until now that that book is released that i'm totally like okay this is what you want me to do 
I own it completely. I'm for it. I understand now because my tagline is transforming with transparency. So basically in my books, I put all of myself out there um, in a purposeful manner to help others face their own issues. Because sometimes we run away or most of us, we, we keep our heads buried in the sand when it comes to our stuff, because it's hard to go through the unlearning process and, mm-hmm. you know, a rooting process of certain mindsets and behaviors or whatever it may be for you. But in me being transparent, even in my blog posts and everything that I do, it's like, oh, I'm not alone. Oh, I can get through it. Okay, it takes a little bit of work, but it's not that bad. She's putting herself out there. I can work on what I need to as well. And I'm an advocate for uh, mental health and everything else. So I'll tell people in a minute, I will go to counseling in two seconds if I feel I need to go without any shame. And I want people to, you know, have that same attitude about taking care of themselves mentally and emotionally. So I'm transparent in all of my work. And that is basically to help people get to the root of their own issues. Hmm. So with that, you touched on, because I want to talk about each one of your books a little bit. And you talk, you touched on, um, you know, Residue. Can you talk a little bit more about that book and maybe um, what were some of your, your thought processes around um, the content of the book and why you felt like it was important at that time? Well, I had, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people can say they had interesting childhoods or childhoods that created Um, toxic parts of them in some form or way. And some people haven't, you know, because we all have different journeys. But mine absolutely did, even with the men in my family, um, specifically with my grandfather. And it shaped who I was. I became a very angry person. Um, I was a very lost (laughs) and codependent person because of my upbringing and watching so much mental, um, verbal, physical, sexual abuse growing up, um, it made me very prideful once I got into my young adult years, and it made me very aggressive as a person. I can't wait until somebody, you know, disrespects me. (laughs) And it got to the point where I had a breakdown after I had my first child, because I have two children. Um, They're six and two. But after I had my son, because I was also going through a little bit of postpartum depression. Um, my ex-husband was like, I don't know what's going on with you, but I just want my Debbie back. And the desperation in his face, you know, was like, I was like, man, something may be really going on with me because he's not the type to beg for anything, but he's just begging me to get back to me at this point. And I called my uncle and I started peeling back the layers. Like, why am I so angry? Why am I? And then one of the biggest issues I had was I couldn't, I guess, I couldn't accept help from my ex-husband at all, if that makes sense. Because I'm a strong black woman, I don't need nobody. <laughs> and I was like, why is it that I have this man's child But yet, I don't want him to take care of me. That's stupid, right? Mm. And I unpacked this with my uncle on the phone. Like, why is it that I can't allow him to take care of me? Why? And that started the process of understanding the generational curses in my family. 
that start, okay, well, where did they come from? Where did this start? Is this something that all the women in my family go through? Ah, it kind of is <laughs> because I was around women who were docile and meek and that were taking abuse. So it made me feel like, well, and, and the excuse was always, well, I take care of the household from the men in my family. I take care of the bills. I take care of the household. Do as I say. And so that caused me to have the mindset of, well, nobody's going to take care of me and use it over my head. Mm-hmm. And now I can't accept help. <laughs> so I had to unpack those things. Um, and that phone conversation with my uncle. And then I started writing about it and going through the layers and researching generational curses and going from there. And that's how residue came to be. And also, I do want to mention that I talk about the Willie Lynch letter in the beginning of that book. And although a lot of people say that that letter is a hoax, if you read it, there's still so many parallels in the Black community and in that letter. Like the strong women and the weak men, the colorism and things like that. And all of those things, not all, but majority of those things I've witnessed in my own family. Mm. I've seen the trickle down effect. So I talk about that in the book as well. So that's how residue came to be. And those are some of the issues that I talk about because a lot of us, a lot of people that have read that book, they've come back to me and said, dang, stuff that I saw as normal (laughs) growing up as a child, I realize now is extremely toxic, but we were just taught that this is okay behavior and it's not acceptable and it's not okay. Yeah, I mean, you have me thinking, like, I, even when I, when I was doing my, you know, my background research and looking, when I was, you know, reading up more about the book, it made me stop. And I was like, well, damn, what, what are the things that maybe I'm, like, unconsciously doing because it's been kind of put in me from a younger age? And it makes me really think about those kind of things. And I'm like, is this something I'm just carrying on because I saw this happen so frequently in our family and, you know, in my family and those kind of things? So, it, it yeah, yeah. And it definitely will cause you to do that. It will, it will cause you to be like, huh? <laughs> because I mean, even some of the examples I give in my own life, I realize in our community is so many parallels <laughs> between us, even if our upbringings were different. It, there, there are so many parallels that we can draw from each other. Of, oh my goodness. We have got to undo this mindset. We have got to, you know, unlearn everything that we've learned (laughs) and then go on a relearning journey. So, um, you know, and I think you touched on a really good point there that, you know, I think a lot of times we think about that and that can be a very tall task, right? Like thinking about it, you know, one of the things when I, when I, you know, in our conversation and in thinking about like, generational things that are carrying with me, I know, like for me, financial stuff is kind of one of those big things because it's, Mm. it's, um, seeing what that struggle looked like for my parents and not necessarily having the best example. I know that's something that I carry with me either. I'm very, I'm either one end of the spectrum where I'm really completely tight with money or I'm blowing money fast. And, you know, I know some, some of that is because it's learned behavior from being, you know, younger and seeing that. And sometimes it can be intimidating to try to tackle those things because it's so ingrained. Um, I think, you know, or maybe a question for you is that in your process of, of writing this book and in your process of interacting with the folks who have you know, read the book and, you know, um, have dialogue with you about it, what are some thoughts or what's some advice that you might have in terms of starting to tackle some of those issues? I would say 
because I, throughout the book to help people with starting the process, I ask a lot of reflection questions. Mm. And at the end of each section, you know, I tell people to journal, just answer these questions to yourself to help you peel back the layers because, you know, we're grown now. So there is so much that has happened. You know, there are so many layers that have gone on top of it. So we really literally have to peel certain things back before we get to the core to understand ourselves better. So I would say, A, be patient with the process. Mm. Patient with your process. Two would be be honest with yourself. Because if you go in with the attitude and the mindset of nothing's wrong with me, I'm good then you're not going to get any work done (laughs) that you need to do for yourself. So I would say be very, very honest and sit with yourself. Okay, what are some negative things about myself that I notice? Is it that I have a bad attitude? Is it that I get defensive easily? Is it that um, it could be anything, anything that you deem to be negative or that you been told repeatedly like yo you need to work on this and you've been resistant to doing so ask yourself why that is Mm. like really really sit with yourself why am i why am i doing that where did that come from what happened who said something to me and sometimes and i said this in the book sometimes it can be something that is seemingly insignificant meaning sometimes it didn't even have to be like crazy abuse it could have just been a simple statement that somebody said like oh you'll never be shit when you get older and it just stuck with you forever and created a monster but you have to get to that where that root of okay where did this establish itself where did this behavior and mindset or it could be that you beat yourself up all the time it could really be anything but you have to peel back those layers to get to the core but that takes being patient i feel and being honest with yourself. And if you're not the type that can peel back your own layers, I strongly, strongly suggest that you go to therapy and get a professional to help you do that. I'm the type where I can peel back my own layers to a certain extent, most times, because I'll start digging in and researching and everything else and like, aha, or I'll talk it through with someone. But if you're not that type and you need the assistance, please go get it. Mm. So those are my things, patience, honesty and a professional if you can't uh, get to it yourself i'm sitting here i'm, I'm digesting i'm taking all this in like, this is this is great <laughs> so what i what i the question i have for you just in terms of like transitioning from like residue to your um, your facade is showing like what how did you approach your second book differently than you approached maybe your process for the your first book ooh that is a good question very good question. In residue, I feel I was more, okay, I was very afraid. Because again, like I said before, I didn't see myself as an author. I was doing it like, Lord, you done told me to do this now. And we doing it. I'm done. And I was more guarded in my writing process. It was still real and it was still transparent, but it was still a little, I don't know what they're going to say. I don't know what people gonna think and you know I just really don't want them you know it was still like I was shaking and trembling as you know once I hit okay it's out there (laughs) I was like I don't know what people gonna think what they gonna say they're not gonna get it they're not gonna understand it and then it's like oh they do get it never mind but with this book I ain't care 
I'm like, look, I'm just say what I got to say. This is what it is. This is how I felt in the process. I want you to feel these emotions. I want you to feel all of this. Um, it, I was definitely authentic to myself. The first one was still real and transparent, but I feel like the tone of this book is who I am. Mm. Or who I have become. There we go. The tone of this book is who I have truly become because I shouldn't be concerned. When you know that you have a calling over your life, you shouldn't be second guessing yourself constantly. You should be confident in that calling, you know? And at first I wasn't confident in that with my first book. Although the material's still great, it's awesome, it's bomb. But this one right here, it's like, look, I'm an author. This is what I have to share. I hope that you receive from it. And if you don't, it's not for you. <laughs> and that's and okay that's with real. me too. That's you know, because a lot of times we get caught up and I want everybody to love it. No, if it's not for you, it's not for you. I'm cool with that. I'm not stressing over that anymore, but it's my story and it's my journey. I own it. And I mean, it's helped people so far. Even people that are married, they're like, yo, this is a good read so that we can pinpoint, okay, where are we slipping at? So that we don't end up in this situation or for single people. Okay. What do I need to look for? What are some things that I need to keep in my mind as I'm on the dating scene? So it's really a book for everybody, but definitely I feel like you hear me in, in a very authentic way, I feel. So with that, with uh, your facade showing, like, what are some of your, your takeaways for, for the book? <sighs> the first being, please <laughs> listen to yourself. We, we get out here in this little dating world and we just want to, especially those of us who may wear our hearts on our sleeves and we're all emotional, please do not doubt what you're feeling. When we have that little inkling in our hearts, like, ooh, I don't like that they do that. <laughs> or whatever it may be, whatever that is for you, that's like, hmm, that's questionable behavior there. It's like, I don't we, know about that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. In the beginning, we tend to overlook it. We'd be like, ooh, I don't like that. But, but they cute or whatever, so we'll keep going. <laughs> Instead no. of really, like, taking a hard mental note there. So I say listen to yourself. This is all about listening to that voice within. I say in the dedication, and I'm paraphrasing myself, look, this book is for those <laughs> to get the courage to do what they need to do, what they already know in their hearts to be true. I'm not telling anybody to do anything. I'm not telling anybody to lead their man or lead their girl. No, I'm pro marriage. I'm pro love. If it's healthy, I'm pro all that stuff. If it's healthy, do everything that you can to maintain it and keep it healthy or get it healthy. But if you listen, if you are taking care of a grown man, or if you are dealing with somebody who has no intentions on building themselves up in any way and they're trying to live off of you or they are abusive to you verbally or they undermine, you know, and disrespect you, whatever your thing is, whatever your non-negotiables are, your red flags, whatever those things are that you cannot deal with, why proceed? Why proceed with somebody like that? And some people, they get clouded by good sex. Man, the sex good, so I guess I can put up with that, but now you're miserable. And it's really not that serious that yeah. you can be with somebody that is healthy for you mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And, you know, you can have that too. But sometimes we don't even believe that we're worthy enough to have all of those things. 
all of these good qualities. So we settle for the scraps. And this book is saying, stop settling for the scraps, really. Stop settling for the scraps. Jesus. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Message. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So with that, you know, thinking about, you know, your time as an author, um, you know, walking in kind of in your passion um, and kind of your calling with that. What is what is a piece of advice or something you'd want to share with other folks who are um, exploring maybe their passion, particularly maybe with with being an author and, and publishing and, and writing? What, what's a piece of advice that you want to give to somebody um, around that? Well, for those of you who are stuck, like, and I'm speaking specifically to the people who, um, I know I'm supposed to write a book, but I don't know where to start. You just need to be free writing. And I tell everybody to ask me, some people are like, how in the world are you writing these books like this? How are you writing your blog every week? I'm like, I just do it. But everything I do, I'm also led to do at the same time. So it's free flowing and organic. I, I don't force myself to write things. However, if you have a book that's been on your heart, I would use different mediums to write and just start writing. Don't worry about an outline because that will stress you out because things will come together as you're writing and pieces as, or that's been my experience as you're writing, it will come together slowly, but surely you can have like a general vague outline. But <laughs> overall, I just write, I just freely write whatever comes to your mind and heart, whether that's on the computer, whether it's on your phone and you're taking notes and then you just email it to yourself later, whether you voice record yourself when you're driving and you're having thoughts, whatever the medium may be, I use different mediums. And I just say and write whatever comes to your mind and heart, because otherwise the book is going to stay trapped inside of you because we'll give each other or give ourselves a million reasons not to do something because we're afraid or we're worried about perception. And you just have to get to a point where you just take the leap and do it because it's not going to write itself. So I say, write, just do it, write, don't worry about the structure. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. So with that, how how do you define leadership? I define leadership as somebody who is not afraid to say, look, I'm in the trenches with you. Mm. A lot of people (laughs) think that leadership is standing, you know, from this high place, dictating and telling people what to do. I don't feel that that's leadership. I feel a true leader will get down and dirty with you and be like, look, this is what we got to do. I'm here, you know, to guide us on that journey. But we on this journey together. (laughs) I'm going to direct you and show you the way, but you're not alone. I'm accessible. I'm here. Let's do it. I feel like that's what a leader will do. I'm in the trenches with you. I'm not afraid to roll my sleeves up. I'm not afraid to dig for solutions, you know, together. I'm not afraid to make the tough decisions um, that I will have to make along the way for the betterment of whatever it is that we're trying to do or the goal that we're trying to reach as well. I'm not afraid to hear other people out because my ego is to the side. I will hear you. I want to listen to what you have to say and get your feedback because we're a collective unit. And we all, all of our contributions matter to whatever it is that we're doing. And I feel a leader just encompasses humility and grace, but assertiveness and in just a beautifully balanced way. Hmm. So a question, with a lot of your work being 
around healing and like transformation. Um, why do you feel like it's important for a leader to um, ensure that they're identifying areas of growth or areas that may need healing um, for their practice? I mean, if you're not identifying the areas that need it, I feel, cause I feel even if the topic isn't healing, your mindset should always be on evolving and improvement and getting better. Always. And I feel like a leader, not necessarily digging for a problem per se, but always looking, how can we be even better than what we are today? How can we take it, you know, a few steps ahead, a few steps further, just never being comfortable with the current state, like being content, but not being comfortable with, okay, this is what it's going to be for the next 20 years. No, like, okay, now let's step it up. Let's make it better. Let's continue to refine and improve. And I feel like it's important to look for areas that need improvement to continue to smooth things out, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, you know, just kind of transitioning in into this kind of discussion, because I think we've been, we've been talking about it, um, but how do you define mindfulness and why do you feel like it's important, particularly in the context of the work you do? Man, what I think of mindfulness is being self-aware and, oh my God, I'm trying to figure out how to say this without being extremely winded. <laughs> You're fine. You're fine. Because like, I'm on this journey of self-rediscovery right now, um, personally, and there's such a freedom and a peace with knowing who you are and accepting yourself completely even with the perceived flaws and all. And I feel like mindfulness and centering yourself and making sure that you're in a good space and you know how to speak to yourself and talk to yourself and that you're kind to yourself. And I feel like all I can, what keeps echoing in my mind is the word freedom. There is such a freedom with mindfulness and being self-aware in my opinion. There's such a freedom with that. And it's important in the healing process because you have to be mindful <laughs> of who you are and where you are in your process and being patient with that process and understanding who you are better. And that I feel like mindfulness encompasses so many different things, but I think of it as how you talk to yourself as well, how you center yourself, how, you, how do you ground yourself? All of that is so important. And it, to me, it's all linked to being self-aware. What's a for you, you know, in, in terms of the work that you've done and, and interacting with folks, um, what's one maybe misconception you run into um, around like addressing the need to heal that you, you think people might think about um, or something that might be um, a little scary for people um, when they think about healing that's often or maybe a, a misconception for folks? Um. <laughs> Uh, I'll talk about my audience, to be honest, because people won't like my posts or um, share them or follow me because they're like, I don't want people to think I got anything going on. <laughs> and at first, that would offend me and hurt my feelings. <laughs> but now I don't care because they are quick to hop in my DMs and be like, oh, man, I need that. Please don't stop being transparent. <laughs> you know, or they'll email me in response to one of my blog posts or something like that. They'd be like, girl. That's truth. Everything you're saying is truth. And I understand 
and this goes back to I'm transparent so that people can hold up the mirror for themselves to themselves. Mm. It is a process to do that because, because sometimes you feel like, man, if I hold up this mirror, this is about to be some horrific crap I'm about to be looking at. And I'm too afraid to peek at what that looks like. But I feel like with the subtle nudges, slowly but surely people will come around to where caring for themselves. And I feel like we are doing that. Like when we look around at everything that's going on, people are slowly, I go to counseling. Oh yeah, I, this is what I have to do to take care of myself. This is what I have to do to stay grounded. But people are coming around to that, but it's still hard because I saw a post a while ago that said something along the lines of some people can't or don't want to face their trauma because their identity is wrapped up in it. So basically they're afraid of losing who they think they are. Wow. Hmm. And that's, it's, that's a lot to unpack. Exactly. And it's the same thing here. That's how people are like, I don't know if I want to go that deep. One girl that bought my um, first book told me that her sister read it, but she hadn't read it. She's like, I'm still not ready. And she bought the book and said, I'm not ready to read it yet because she knows it's going to bring up a, a lot of generational stuff for her. Stuff that she knows is there, but it's almost like I feel better acting like it's not but that's a lot of people that's a whole whole lot of people and you know you can't force anybody to get their own healing all you can do is encourage and hope that they will make those steps for themselves and this is a part of why I do what I do and why I put myself out there so I'm not one of those people where it's like oh you're just one of those people running their mouths oh you can do it and live your best life no I'm like listen let me tell y'all what happened this weekend (laughs) (laughs) and what discovery I made about myself and how I screwed up and what uh came from this learning moment and so forth and so on this is how I'm going to move forward from it's like oh that's practical easy enough you get what i'm saying just yeah. little things just little ways of just planting the seed to show that healing is cool and healing is an ongoing process you know and it doesn't have to be this big horrific thing you can ease into it however you need to but i just feel it's important to get it done but we can't force anybody to do anything unfortunately but we can plant the seeds throw them out there constantly and hope that they get watered hmm. So what, the, what does success look like for you? Success looks like generational wealth. <laughs> First and foremost, I mean, generational wealth is very important. I thought it was interesting that you brought up money being one of your things based yeah. on your upbringing. Um, because I feel like a lot of us fall into that boat. Like I've recently tackled scarcity mindset. That was an undoing I had to do because it was based on my upbringing. Hmm. I'm not having enough. And what I did, and I talked about this in the first book, like I was buying certain cars that were unnecessary and just living my best life, honey. (sighs) In the wrong way. (laughs) In the wrong, wrong way. And just spending money, getting credit cards, just doing stupid stuff. But that was coming from a mindset of I'll never live the way I did when I, you know, the way I grew up. Listen, that, that is, that is it. Yeah. You hit the, you hit the nail on the the head right there. That that is scarcity mindset because we feel like we have at that, at that time I felt that I had arrived because, you know, I was single. I didn't have kids. I was just doing me. I'm like, yes, I have arrived, honey. And then 
I realized, A, I was doing that stuff to fill the void of not having access to certain things growing up. But like you said, you weren't taught how to maintain or how to be financially responsible and do the things that you needed to do. So you're just out here going crazy unnecessarily. And it also makes you afraid of never having enough. Yep. When you have an upbringing like that, it makes you so terrified of never having what you need. So you go overboard and you're always panicking anytime something pops up, <laughs> like an emergency or something. Like you're just always in a state of panic, so to speak. And I've just recently freed myself from scarcity mindset because I'm like, hey, it's stressing me out, first of all. But in this divorce process, help me finally lose myself from scarcity mindset and just do what I need to do and know that what I am seeking is seeking me because I affirm myself da daily. That's another part about me. I love affirmations. I'm very serious about affirming yourself because it unlocks so much mentally that also can tie back into mindfulness as well. But anywho, I consider success generational wealth because based on my upbringing, I feel that we as a community are not equipped financially in the way that we should be in comparison to other communities. And I want to continue to have multiple streams of income not for myself but so my children know that they can do whatever it is they're passionate about you know and improve the world as they do it and then their kids can do it so it's simply a matter of mom you know dad this is an idea I have whatever whatever and I'm like cool let's fund it let's do it instead of do you get what i'm saying it's about no, it's about pouring into others it's not about the materialistic superficial things when i say generational wealth it's about having the means to continue the cycle um of overflow and abundance and pouring into passions so that people don't feel trapped doing things that they don't want to do and instead we're nurturing passions because i would love to get that started in my own family what are you passionate about how can we feed that because i watch what my son does now as a six-year-old and we see how intelligent how smart he is and his father and i were like yo we gotta jump on that yeah. <laughs> we really have to we have to jump on that and make and nurture the things that he's interested in and all those going to change because he's six over time we want to focus on that not go to school make good grades do this do that so you can get into college no no we're not taking that route we're, we're looking at what what sets you on fire and how can we feed that and how can we take care of that so success to me is generational wealth and then number two success to me is helping set other people free mm. helping set them free and you know bringing them to god or the creator the universe whatever people want to call them through my work because i feel like freedom a huge part of freedom of course is mental and emotional but it's also spiritual freedom absolutely as well so yeah setting people free through my work those are my two so who's who's someone in your life that's had a major impact on like your growth and development and how have they kind of impacted you to grow or imparted what have, what have they imparted on you that's been so beneficial for you 
the first person that comes to mind is my uncle Chris. When I grew, and he's a judge down here in Atlanta. And as I was growing up, he was always the one. He always kind of said, you know, I'm passing a torch to you. Even when I was really crazy and angry. (laughs) You know, he went to law school and all that. He wasn't a first generation college student in my family. But he was seen as like the epitome of what success should look like, you know. And, and when I was a little girl, he was always the one guiding me and showing me the way he was like a father to me. Um, and I would say I appreciate him being a good voice because there were so many negative ones around um, in my same bloodline. And I appreciate him being a, a grounded voice in my life. Because he was always talking me off the ledge, keeping me from doing something crazy, encouraging me to do good things and to stay on the right path. You know, he was always there just keeping me centered, being my ear, being my sense of balance. And I credit him with a lot because if it wasn't for him just keeping me from acting crazy all the time. And I mean, <laughs> acting crazy because I was a very angry girl. But like, I was really on that whole, um, that whole, what do we call it? What? Just that, that stereotype of the angry black woman. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, was, I was that growing up as a teenager and a young adult. I, I was her. I was the angry black woman <laughs> all day. And he, he a kept her tame and b he also helped me release her Mm. as well because my first book would not have been written had it not been for the conversation that i had for him the same day my ex-husband said i just want my debbie back and i it hit me what in the world is wrong with me why am i like this and i called and we talked for four to five hours and from there it started the process of huh it started my writing process without me knowing knowing it basically so i just owe him a lot and um yeah his wisdom has just stayed with me for years so we talked about a person that's that's had an impact on you what's a resource you know whether it's a book movie podcast ted talk i don't know but something that's been influential to you or in your growth that you might want to share with the listeners man i'll talk about what i'm reading right now it is a book called A Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. And that book is heavy, man. Really? Yes. Um, she's the one with the quote, our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Uh-huh. This is that book. And man, like my girlfriend, me and her were unpacking some stuff um, a couple of weeks ago. And she's like, girl you gotta read this and i'm like okay <laughs> i mean she was like preaching to me about this book i was like okay girl i'm gonna read it because you done said it man she's like girl you're gonna have to read a few chapters and put it down read and put it down and she was not lying my first day i started reading that book i had to take a nap after the introduction. Like that <laughs> yes i had to take a nap after the introduction and just let it marinate let the words soak i'm like yeesh I mean, but it's good. And basically the book is about how we have, it's not a Christian book. I wouldn't say it's a Christian book because it's pretty open spiritually. But basically how 
the way we have come into the world is not the way God intended. Mm. Like we were born with a fearful mindset and to be afraid of everything. Am I good enough? Did I, you know, <laughs> do yeah. good enough on this test? Did I do that? You know, everything is fear and panic. And basically the book is helping you peel back the layers to get to a place of being in love and not romantically, but just acting in a manner with love as the foundation in every part of your life as the way we are supposed to live and not bound by all these fears and worries and doubts and all this other crap that hold us back ultimately. Hmm. So yeah. it's pretty dope. I just, uh, I'm circling this because I say this, I say this every episode. There are a few things that happen every episode. It's like, I it's like I talk to my guests at a timely point. Um, in my own personal life, but also like it, the this last question is kind of well second to the last question about the book and the resources that that are important. Kind of like a selfish question because I created like this little book list. Like there's so many books that my my uh, guests talk about, and this is one I was like, ah, I gotta check this out. I pull up Amazon when we get off this. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I to put a little order in real quick. Oh, it is definitely um, heavy. Make sure you order mine too. <laughs> <laughs> But no, it's definitely, it's definitely good. And there aren't, I know, because I'm such an intuitive person and I'm also very introspective as well. And I love a book that'll make me, you know, sit down like, sheesh. I love getting checked. Like, all right, all right, calm, settle down now. Fine relaxation. I hear you. I love a book that'll yell at you. Like, all right, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna check these out. I'm gonna check these out. So the the last question I have for you um, is: at the end of the day, what do you want your legacy to be? Mm, that's good. I think about my children when you ask that question. I think about Carter and I think about Carson. Carter's my baby girl. She's two. And Carson is my son. He's six. And I actually thought about this like a few months ago. I I envision myself accepting an award for something, but my kids are the ones that were giving me the award and they did their little intro. And my son said, watching my mother growing up, being fearless and courageous and bold and everything that she did gave me the keys to do what I'm doing now. And that's what I want my legacy to be, to show people to be bold and to be fearless. Like, don't worry about what other people are saying. Don't wait on the validation of others. Don't wait for the right moment or time. Just take the leap. And everything will fall into place. And I don't mean that in an irrational and irresponsible way. I mean, like, you know, when you have a burning passion for something, you know, when something just won't get off your mind, it wakes you up at night. And I know that sounds so cliche, but I understand that now when we've heard people say that, like, you know what it is. So don't get in your own way. And I hope that my legacy gives people the courage and insight not to get in their own way. And to be bold and to just push themselves off the cliff if they need to and know that everything will be okay in the end. Hmm. Well, this is a good, uh, that was a, a dope mic drop to, to end the, the conversation. Because, uh, yeah, 
yeah, I I like ending with that question because I think it's always great for for folks who one either like you have have thought about this and have this idea or concept of what they want their legacy to be, and and it, I think it definitely gets folk other folks to start thinking about what that means to them, um, and this whole idea of of kind of fueling others to to kind of walk in their authentic selves, I think is really important. Mm. So yeah. To Debbie, thank you. Listen, I took a few weeks off the podcast, um, and so you're the first interview back. Um, and this was a great, a great <laughs> uh, pick me back up in terms of getting back into the rotation of the podcast and being able to share this really great conversation that I'm, I know will resonate with a lot of folks. So thank you. No, thank you for having me. I'm so honored and humbled. <laughs> I'm so serious. I don't take it lightly that you have me here occupying your space. I appreciate it so, so very much. And I'm happy to be here. Perfect. <laughs> well, listen, um, before we go, what is the best way for folks to get in contact with you um, after they've heard this amazing conversation? I am a simple Sally. I try not to make your life hard. <laughs> My favorite platform is Instagram at Debbie L. London. And guess what? Facebook is the same at Debbie L. London. What is my website? DebbieLLondon.com. I keep it simple. Also, on my website, please check out my blog, Talk It Through Tuesdays. I talk about my random things typically that have happened over the weekend before I write it (laughs) and my aha moments or pretty much anything, but anything just to plant a seed of, huh, interesting (laughs) with my readers. Also, on Thursdays, um, I have Facebook Live sessions with amazing, dope, strong women, and it's Truth and Transparency Thursdays, where we have different topics, and we dig in, and we talk. So, you can access all of those things on my website, including my books, Um, in addition to freebies. I also have some cool freebies, Um, mini podcasts that are like five to ten minutes long, 22 Days of Healing After Heartbreak, to help you get through your situation that you can listen to some nuggets first thing in the morning or five day healing detox, which is another one. So check those out too. All on my website, debbielondon.com. And again, that is at debbielondon on Instagram and Facebook. Perfect. And that will be posted right along with the podcast episode. So you can easily click um, to be able to check out all that amazing content. Listen, Debbie, again, thank you for being a part of the episode. Um, Yeah, I I really appreciate you being, again, as transparent as possible to share your journey um, with folks so that, you know, there's this continued level of kind of growth and personal and professional development. Perfect. I appreciate you so much. Thank you, Sean. Welcome. This episode of the Mindful Rebel podcast is sponsored by Gamefly. Gamefly is the number one video game rental service. We've all purchased the game that just sucked, right? And you feel like you wasted your money. And if you go try to sell the game back to you know who, you're only going to get about five or six dollars on a game that you paid 70 to 80 dollars for. Why not alleviate all that and rent the game first? This is what Gamefly gives you the opportunity to do. Rent and buy games for your PS4, your Nintendo Switch, your Xbox One, or whatever system you have. Rent it before you purchase it. So for my podcast listeners, I have an exclusive offer on my website. Sign up for Gamefly and get a free 30-day trial when you go to seanjmore.com slash podsponsors. That's seanjmore.com slash podsponsors for an opportunity to sign up for a free 30-day trial. While you're on that page, check out the other podcast sponsors, which include Grammarly, Loot Crate, and BarkBox. Thanks again for listening to the podcast.
Thank you for listening to the Mind Forever podcast. Take some time to subscribe to the Mind Forever podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and Anchor FM. To catch up on past episodes, go to seanjmore.com. That is seanjmore.com. And click on the podcast tab. Your feedback is important, so please comment your thoughts, suggestions, and views on any of the platforms, including my social media pages, including Instagram and Twitter at Sean J underscore more. Thank you again for your continued support as we continue to dialogue about leadership for the culture.